Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello, hello. Time for another episode of the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And I think we're going to jump straight in, aren't we, Polly? That's right. Well, we have one item today for the communicator, and that is a new blog post on our website, statesidemadness.com. The name of the article is Thickest Thieves, Madness and Paul Weller's Solid Bond. Now, it was written by our webmaster and madness maven, Donald, and it's a really very interesting article. Uh, He talks about a number of collaborations between Madness and Paul Weller, including a rumored songwriting collaboration between Suggs and Paul that might be resulting in a single pretty soon. So check it out, statesidemadness.com. Chris, what time is it? Showtime! So, we'll move right on to the episode, this one being about crunch. Yay! I, I love this one. This is, this is going to be so cool. A little bit about crunch. After The Madness recorded one album in 1988, the four members of The Madness, that was Suggs, Carl, Lee, and Chris, they all went their separate ways. And Lee and Chris continued writing songs together. So by 1990, Lee and Chris found themselves in Liquidator Studios recording a new album of material. As to the name, there's a lot of confusion about this. And and if you read five different sources, you'll get five different answers. The band was originally supposed to be called the Nutty Boys. And from what I understand, Lee was very much against the name the Nutty Boys because he thought it was a little too close to madness right madness are known as the nutty boys and that was something that the record label i guess was kind of pushing but a printer switched the band name and the album title so then the band name became crunch we do know that post 1996 everything that uh had been released or re-released after that was officially the band called crunch so prior to that, sometimes they were billed as the Nutty Boys, sometimes they were billed as Crunch. The album cover photography, which I love, 
for the Nutty Boys was done by a photographer named Gavin Watson. And he's actually worth looking up online. He's really got some good rock and roll photography on his website. So Lee and Chris are forming a band. Now they can't necessarily do it all themselves. So they have to look elsewhere for musicians. Now, a surprising choice is Steve Annan on saxophone. Why? Well, because Lee is not quite noteworthy as a saxophonist. And you would think maybe he would handle all of those responsibilities himself. I play sax. But also, I sing at the same time. Baffling, eh? As it turns out, he's doing the vast majority of the vocals. Maybe that is why he was inclined to hire Steve. Now, on piano, friend of the podcast, Louis Vaz, Diamond Legs Vaz. Um, and if you want to hear a little bit from Louis, listen to our episode 29, where we interviewed yeah. him, or rather he, he interviewed himself. He, he just kind of went at it. Guy with a lot of stories, not shy or short on um, uh, stuff to put out there. On organ was Hong Kong Dave Lazaro. On drums and backing vocals was Spider Johnson. And on bass, Paul Tad Tadman. And then of course, Chris Foreman. He was on guitars, as you might expect, keyboards and programming. Lee, vocals as we spoke of. And Lee, of course, also did add saxophone. So this is actually really notable for a couple of reasons, Polly. Chris and Lee composed most of the songs before they had even recruited the band members. And Chris composed a lot of this on a, a sequencer, which was very new in 1990. Now, I'm not really sure what software they were using. I don't know if Pro Tools was out by then or not. But this was a relatively new technology in 1990. Their use of samples, which is very heavy in this album, also kind of new around this time. We started to see it uh, a little bit in uh, like industrial rock. You know, there was like what Mars pump up the volume. There were, this was starting to become more prevalent. So this is the first time that we've really seen uh, the members of Madness or what used to be Madness kind of working with these samples. Um, one other thing worth noting, you mentioned that um, you know, Lee having vocal duties couldn't really play sax at the same time. The record company was not convinced that Lee had what it took to be a leading man, to be a lead singer. You know, not like Suggs or Carl. Lee really wasn't pictured that way. And the record company wasn't 100% on board with this. All right, so we're going to listen to the tracks on The Nutty Boys by Crunch. We're going to do a deep dive track by track as we do. First track on the album. The song I think we might have talked about once before because it was written by Chris Lee and Suggs. This was actually going to be a Madness song at one time before the band broke up. This is called Magic Carpet. Let's listen. Fool. Never ending 
Okay, strong start there. Polly, what do you think of Magic Carpet? Uh, well, you're right about it being a strong start. It really sets the tone for what the album's going to be about. And um, you'll see that, uh, you know, they really are trying to make an earnest effort to depart from uh, what Madness really was about, or maybe what mad the, the uh, core of Madness was about, at least sound-wise. You know, they're still going to bring the oddball humor and things like that. And that's really kind of on display in Magic Carpet Ride. The album's also pretty reflective of what 1990 was sounding like and was going to be all about. Uh, rather than talk at great length about that right now, I think that's going to come up a little bit more later in the episode. But so far as Magic Carpet Ride goes, uh, it's quite an endearing song. Really heavy, heavy on groove. And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt that there's a sample of the Pioneers Trojan Records classic, Long Shot Kicked a Bucket. Uh, definitely a favorite of mine. It's a favorite of mine too. I do really like this song. Um, the subject matter is a lot darker than I think uh, we would have expected given, you know, well, then again, maybe not, you know, may maybe I spoke too soon on that. Cause I guess madness does uh, have like darker subject matter and kind of juxtaposes it with, uh, you know, like a, an up-tempo, you know, jaunty kind of beat. Supposedly this is about the availability of drugs in the city with the channel tunnel. And if you listen to the lyrics, you know, he's talking about E on every corner, crack for little Jack Horner. And it's really kind of morbid. You know, he talks about the funeral mourner. But then we get to the chorus and then it becomes something very uplifting. You know, there's no place with the wicked for the likes of you and me. So welcome aboard my magic carpet ride. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, you and I, we're too good for this. We're too good for this scene. You know, let's, let's get out of here. And I love the line. You've got to make up in your own mind, just where it is that you're destined to. Don't let anyone down hard or dissuade you, you know? So it's like, we're going to set our own destiny here. I love it. What's next? So what's up next is always The Innocent. And as you might expect, it's a Chrissy Boy and Lee Thompson composition. Uh, because everything is... Sure. Because everything on the album is going to be written by Chris and Lee, uh, we're only going to mention any credits when it happens to not be <laughs> written by them. Always you hands up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
song you know this is an interesting one isn't it it mentions the islamic revolution evil red armies but dare doubt the british institution and forever carry the shame you know so i I had to listen to this a couple times to really get a feel for what it's about i think it can be best summed up in the lines we all have basic rights to what we believe why do you mess with religion just leave me to my own beliefs it's about thinking for yourself. And if you dare to rock the boat or, you know, subscribe to a belief that is not necessarily the mainstream, there's that, you know, forever carry the shame. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I started to really pick up more as I was listening to it. I love the tune. You know, and that always you hands up, you know, that's very catchy that that sticks with you for a while. What do you think, Polly? Well, I, I think you're definitely on to something. I think this is a it's not too late for them to get, uh, you know, one last punch in at Thatcherism and Reagan era politics. Um, although they're alluding, like you said, to the Islamic Revolution and um, evil red armies. I think that's more or less them. Um, talking about um, how our governments, uh, you know, have those boogeymen to, um, you know, kind of be a bit divisive and, and potentially distract a little bit from um, their own politics. And uh, you know how reluctant they are to let anything go if anybody has, a, like you said, a, a contrary opinion. So I want to go back to, you know, what you said about, you know, like kind of the boogeyman with the evil red armies and the Islamic revolution, putting this in the context of 1990, you really have to kind of place it very firmly in the timeline there. So this was prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall. This was prior to the dissolution of the Soviet Union. So, you know, the the Cold War and communism was a very real thing. And of course, we talk about the Islamic Revolution. Well, you know, this was long before 9-11, long before the, uh, the wars in the Middle East that were taking place, very much in Britain. And to a lesser extent, I think here in the United States too, I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, anti-Muslim hatred, you know, a lot of people being singled out for, uh for their color of the skin and their beliefs. And when, you know, we still see a lot of that now too. As far as that goes though, um, you know, the song, super tight song, rhythmically. And uh, yeah, it's a good follow-up to uh, Magic Carpet. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's again, establishing a bit of what the theme of the album is going to be. Okay, so next up, Track three is Daydreamers. Don't get me wrong. When I address you with my eyes, just tie along. Mm. 
Ali, talk to me. Daydreamers. Uh, so daydreamers. Um, I don't happen to have crunch on uh, LP. So I'm at a little bit of a loss sometimes when it comes to finding out information about uh, any of the samples that they had. Um, and I also didn't really want to go digging too deep in the internet and trying to figure that out. So I'm at a loss for what the sample is on that. Yeah, I, you know, I was hoping, Polly, that you could help me identify that sample that's in there, but uh, it's not to be. So maybe somebody will write into statesidemadness at gmail.com and tell us. But, uh, you know, it's third in a row with that deep, deep, heavy groove. Uh, you know, fair enough song. Got nothing against it. I really have nothing against the entirety of the album. So they really are developing a strong theme here. I'd say beyond theme, they're also developing a bit in the way of, you know, an ambiance about the, about the album too, sonically. So there you go. Three in a row. You know, it's interesting, you know, come and hop aboard. Can't you see we're just daydreamers? So this hop aboard thing, this kind of reminds me of track one, Magic Carpet, you know, but it seems to be about just the, 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 pleasures of kind of losing yourself in, in your own thoughts but also interacting with other people and their thoughts right don't get me wrong when I explore your points of view so I mean it's 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 an interesting song it's not I don't think it's the strongest song on the album but it's decent you know I appreciate the experimentation that's taking place not just in this song but in a lot of the tracks on the album so up next Let's listen to complications. the sample it sounds like it's he's saying that's amazing didn't recognize that one do you know where that one's from no in fact i don't uh it's gonna uh, if we end up hearing from anybody who uh, can fill in that blank for us it's probably gonna make me bang my head against wall because it does sound remarkably familiar to me yeah but i'm, well, I'm 51 and can't remember everything <laughs> getting to that age huh yeah. Again, you know, as is my tendency, I really kind of focused on the lyrics for this one. This one seems to be focusing on, you know, some somebody who's kind of a, a, a really shady character. We're all looking for a good time, the easy way out. And, oh, this is a great line. You'd steal the gold from the teeth as your grandmother ghost dances. That is such a great line. And it tells you about the person's character, right? I mean, your grandmother just died 
And here you are, you're going to take the gold teeth out of her mouth because that's how greedy you are. So yeah, I mean, this is an okay song. Again, not my favorite, but uh, you know, they get an A for effort on this one. I think it's a decent song. What do you think? I, again, I'm going to be uh, with you in agreement. Yeah, it's not the strongest song on the album. And people are going to start to see uh, a bit of repetition in my critiques of this stuff. It's again, it's just groove based. I'll be saying that about a couple more songs here too, but uh, we'll wrap up a bit with uh, thoughts on that. So, you know, strong enough effort uh, fits in well with the rest of the tracks, but yeah, you know, uh, a bit more of the, more of the same. Next up, we have an instrumental track. It's called Pop My Top. Okay, so I'm gonna pop my top. Here we go. Polly, what do you think of this one? Uh, yeah, not too shabby. Um, you know, I tend to want uh, something a great deal more dynamic and, and over the top with um, instrumentals to keep me listening. Uh, otherwise, it can just be uh, a bit of uh, background noise after a while or, you know, a soundtrack to something else. So, you know, that's the that's the curse of instrumentals for a guy like me. But, you know, again, very solid effort. And I would say very, very, very much a Chris Foreman piece. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about a number of his other instrumental compositions as well. And yeah, there is that kind of, yeah, that Chrissy voice thread running through it. I think this is a, a fun instrumental. It's not boring. Instrumentals are not something that I find I can actively listen to. I, I have a weird hang up where I need to focus on lyrics or vocals, even if it's in a language that I don't understand or even if it's nonsense words, you know, uh, what is it, glossolalia? Is that what that's called? So this is missing that anchor for me, but it is kind of a, a cheery, fun song. You know, this is the kind of thing that I would have as background music in the office when I'm working because it, 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 it gets me into a good work tempo, you know what I mean? I, if I'm dragging, I can put on, not just this track, I can put on this album, and it kind of lifts me a little bit and, and gets me in the groove and gets me moving. Up next, it's a song called Whistle. You might find something familiar in it. Let's take a listen. 
thoughts on whistle oh i don't know where to begin on this one that sample get on up i got really really stuck on that i'm trying to think i mean get on up i associate with james brown it didn't sound yes. like james brown unless it was really pitch shifted i think it's a, uh i think it's a 1966 live recording and i don't believe it would be james brown i think it would be his musical director um i i'm willing to be wrong on that because it sounds very very familiar but i remember um uh there was about as many live recordings of james brown stuff in the mid 60s as there was studio recordings. so i went back and listened to something i do believe yeah it's one of his his band members singing oh. singing it yeah interesting so yeah so that would have come from sex machine but yeah, that, I mean, that was the thing that really stood out was that sample. I love the, the, the whole absurdity of this song. You know, they keep outlining these really sad kind of circumstances. And then, then I learned to whistle, you know? And uh, like, there's one that I think you're probably gonna talk about because it alludes to your band, The Kinks. But, you know, it's like, I, I, I guess it's like, then I learned not to let it bother me anymore. I, I guess that that's kind of what they're getting at there. I also like that they name check the comedian Tommy Cooper in that. I know we've talked about name checking, but uh, what do you think of this one, Polly? Uh, I, I do like it. And I do think um, there is a Kinks reference in there. Well, I'm not dumb, but I can't understand why she walked like a woman, but talked like a man. Not exactly the lyrics. But uh, yeah, of course, that's a reference to Lola. Fantastic song. Uh, one of the stronger ones on the album, I believe. And again, pretty groove-centric. Okay. So I mentioned name-checking in the previous song. We've got some more name-checking going on in this song. This is Pipe Dream. Okay, Polly, pipe dream. Yeah, okay, so uh, here's where I really start to sound redundant. 
strong song, again, groove heavy, uh, a little bit more interesting, I think, uh, lyrically, a little bit more fun, you know, a little bit of obscure stuff in there to make you kind of really, uh, really listen, particularly the uh, PG Wodehouse line. Yeah, so there's, you know, if you're a, a bit of a literary fan, there's a little bit there for you too. What are your thoughts on it, Lori? Well, okay, so you mentioned P.G. Wodehouse. Uh, that was the name check I was referring to. So P.G. Wodehouse, turn in his grave. I confess I did not know who P.G. Wodehouse was, but he was a British author who created the character Jeeves, and he was known for his witty wordplay. And apparently this was like a series of stories that he wrote centering around this character Jeeves. You know, I, I'm trying not to read too much into some of these songs. I'm not really sure if there's, if this is like a, a, a drug reference or if this is just, you know, Lee just kind of being all over the place wacky with this song. But um, I mean, it's a fun one. You know, there, there's one line to this song that just makes me smile when I hear it. And that's when Lee goes, good evening, I'm a cloud. Woohoo, looking down upon my crazy crowd. That, that's such a fun line. That's all I got. Up next, Fur Elisa. It's a Beethoven composition. Let's take a listen. your thoughts Lori? well i guess we're keeping in the tradition of instrumental remakes of classics right of classical music going all the way back to madness's first album we had swan lake they also did in the hall of the mountain king and now we have lee and chris doing an interpretation of beethoven i don't like this one as much there's something that they're changing with the the pacing and the tempo that kind of kills it for me but uh i know this is really more your uh your wheelhouse so i'm curious to hear what you think of it yeah so this this is really where the album starts to fall apart a little bit for me thankfully it's close to the end i think people will find out that i think it recovers nicely this seems to be uh not i wouldn't call it a gimmick but it seems to be you know, a tool from the Madness tool bag that they pull out every once in a while. When they did it in the first two iterations, Swan Lake and Hall of the Mountain King, it was quite inspired, you know? They didn't do it too much. They didn't overplay it. But when they get to this one, I don't know. I think they relied on that old play from the playbook when they shouldn't have. I think this is 
this would have been better left off the album altogether, I think. That's a lot of rambling. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because now this gives us a second instrumental, right? We had Pop My Top, and then we have this one. I think maybe one instrumental would be enough. So I, I'm kind of with you on this. I don't know that this really adds anything to the album. It's neat that they're experimenting with it. You know, I could see this being a B-side. Okay, so the next track is called People. Let's listen. what do you think of people uh pretty much the same thing i think that i would say on uh, many of the other tracks uh i promise folks i really did some homework and and um tried to be quite analytical about this stuff but as we've said with the other things it's it's um it's playing to a theme so uh lyrically kind of fun you know um, but I'm going to let Lori get into that. She's our lyric mistress here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just another, it's another groove, heavy, heavy song. You know, they were really hitting their stride, I think, with this. And it was, um, wouldn't call it a new genre, but a sort of resurgence of, uh, you know, groove heavy music. And then with the addition of sampling, uh, you know, sort of fertile ground for, um, people to dive straight into it so it's no wonder that you know they're going so heavily with that what are your thoughts Lori well okay lyrics mistress here I do like the lyrics people it's been a long time coming many years spent hop skipping in a jumping there's no excuse except my truce there's a tremor in the air of all hell breaking loose that said I'm starting to feel at this point that a lot of these songs are, are repetitive. A lot of them are very similar. And, and in my mind, some of these songs kind of blur one into the other. There are some standout tracks. I mean, I think um, Always the Innocent to me, that, that stands out as being very unique. Magic Carpet stands out as being very unique. But, you know, I'd be hard pressed if you were to ask me to hum a melody from people or from daydreamers or from pipe dream in my mind they're all kind of blurring one into the other maybe these songs are a little too similar to each other and you just sit you're sitting there with your hands crossed and a very uh, uh serious look on your face so and the 10th track on the album is you got it let's take a listen You got it. 
got for me well you know having said what i just said about how a lot of these songs kind of blur into each other you know one into the next this one doesn't to me this one does stand out to me so i it reminds me on one level of razor blade alley which was another lee composition because it seems to be alluding to prostitution you know there's the line a hasty trick in purple lipstick um Plus, I, I gotta say, I love any song that mentions Pepe Le Pew, right? He name checks the, the Warner Brothers cartoon character, no matter what the odds, assume the part of Pepe Le Pew, which, you know, he's talking about romancing a, romancing a woman, right? And no matter what the odds, if it seems like you're gonna, you know, score or not, you know, Pepe Le Pew is just kind of this over the top, you know, French romantic uh -huh, lover, right? I am Pepe Le Pew. Everyone should have a hobby, don't you think? Man is making love. So yeah, we all know who Pepe Le Pew is. But the thing about Pepe Le Pew is he's always getting shot down. So when Lee says, assume the odds of Pepe Le Pew, he's saying, assume that you aren't going to get none. That you're going to get shot down. What do you think of this one? You got it. Yeah, it, it does have a little bit different uh, vibe going on than uh, the, the tracks that precede it. Yeah, it, it's super fun. And I think this is the element that makes um, the Crunch album so endearing is, you know, we're not adverse to fun if you're a Madness fan. But Madness, uh, you know, probably... It's hits are the fun songs, but Madness had a, you know, a whole catalog of music that's kind of all over the place between being dour, sad, uh, moody, uh, fun, upbeat, um, you know, the whole thing like that. Crunch really played, you know, kind of to, to the strengths of Chris and Lee, who I'm not going to say they're the fun ones in Madness, but, uh, you know, certainly they've got that um, aspect to them and a bit of notoriety uh, because of it. So, you know, this is where I think the album in general kind of uh, exceeds expectations is that really madcap, you know, fun aspect to it. And uh, yeah, and this song has it. This song's got it. It's got it, all right. So this would actually have been the last track if you had purchased the CD. However, on the digital download, there were some additional tracks. So we're gonna talk about those, aren't we, Polly? That we are. Here comes a favorite over here at Stateside Madness HQ. It's okay, I'm a policeman. Holy fellas, that don't move me. Let's get real, real going for a change. Thank you. 
Pardon me, a price I can't seem to afford to start no more. Domestic violence baffles me with signs. It's boom, bang, a banging on my bedroom wall. So kind, a policeman put the lady down. So, it's okay, I'm a policeman. If you were on YouTube or on the interwebs in general and you search for a crunch song, this is more than likely what's going to show up first. Um, their most notorious song. So, it encapsulates... Uh, you know, pretty much exactly what Crunch, I think, was supposed to be about or what they intended Crunch to be about. The video does as well. It really um, establishes them as this, you know, lunatic asylum vibe of we're doing whatever we want. You know, it sees Tomo in his uh, pancake makeup, um, white-faced, eye-patch-wearing, sort of um, rapscallion uh, persona. Yeah, in the very lively and energetic display by the band members, it, it invokes a real raucous atmosphere. And, uh, you know, the song has just got so, so much happening in a dynamic fashion. Tons of sampling. It's just all over the place. And I don't know. I couldn't. I can't say enough good about it. I'm really, really enamored with this song. Well, so am I. I, I love this one. There's uh, some really good samples here. So, like the very beginning, that "Hold It, Fellas," that don't move me. Well, that's Elvis. Oh well, I woke up this morning. That's from the song called "Milk Cow Blues." I can tell that old milk cow by the way she looks. Hold it, fellas. That don't move me. Let's get real, real gone for a change. Well, I woke up this morning and I looked out the door. I can tell that old milk I can tell the way she And they're sampling from a number of films here, including, I think, Jimmy Cagney in White Heat. I'm pretty sure. Not 100%, like 98% sure. Uh, then we have the reference uh, Tie Me Kangaroo Down Sport, which was a novelty song by Rolf Harris. So we got so many different things going on here. And then we have this, this great uh, sax line that kind of ties it all together, kind of reminds me of Yakety Sax a little bit, you know, the, the, the sax riff there. The song itself seems to be kind of about the disillusionment, I guess, of somebody who's in law enforcement. It's an interesting perspective for a lyric written by Lee because Lee usually found himself on the other side of the law. Absolutely fun, fun song. So yeah, check it out. Go check out the video for sure. And actually there's one scene in the video too where uh, there's a, like a bomb that's lit that's being passed and, and you can see at one point poor Louis Vaz is and it ends up holding the bomb. I'm like, oh no, Louis. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so the last three songs on the, the digital download, the last three bonus songs, they're all instrumental versions of songs that we've already heard. 
So first we have Just Dreamin', which was an instrumental version of Daydreamers. That was track three. Then we have Whistling, which was an instrumental version of Whistle, track six. And finally, Magic Carpet Ridin', which was an instrumental version of track one, Magic Carpet. We're gonna listen to all three of these together here. Here you go. know that there's really anything we need to say about the instrumentals unless you have something else you want to add as we've already talked about the uh songs that the instrumentals were based off of uh there's not a great deal i think that to, to add <laughs> okay i know i'm with you on that yeah so polly i'm going to put a little bit of a spin on the question i always ask you what's your favorite track and why is it it's okay i'm a policeman it's okay, I'm a policeman, um, aside from being the most high energy song, you know, probably that Crunch did. It's a really, really, really fine example of that time period and what bands were doing. Uh, is, if you remember the early 90s, the, the Madchester scene was really, really breaking out. We had bands like the Happy Mondays and Primal Scream and you know, could go on and on and on. Sampling was coming into its own for the five piece uh, rock band. Um, you know, it had been solely the, you know, the proprietary, um, you know, method of, of uh, hip hop, which wasn't even hip hop really then. It was, you know, still being referred to as rap. 
So sampling just hadn't made its way into rock music at that point, but now it had. And as well, uh, Groove had not been really making its way into rock music, but now it had. It used to be solely, you know, uh, disco, then it, it transformed into house. And, you know, now it's, it's in mainstream rock music. And It's Okay, I'm a Policeman is really just the, a, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a fine example of what the movement was at that point. And, you know, probably the highlight, I think, of the in, entire crunch period. Interestingly enough, I think if I'm remembering correctly, It's Okay, I'm a Policeman was the band's first single, but it was released after the album. But that gives you an idea how strong this song was, right? That that, that you know, would be the first single. I think this entire album is kind of a missed opportunity for Lee and for Chris. As I understand it, it didn't really happen here in the U.S., but over in the U.K., there was a big ska revival in like 89. If they had released this a year earlier, I think it would have totally blown up. But by 90, when this album was recorded and came out, it was already yesterday's news. And everybody was moving on to something else, as you mentioned, the Manchester scene, you know, and other, other things that were going on. Uh, around 1990. So it's kind of a victim, I think, of bad timing. I, I think uh, had they released this a little bit earlier, I think more people would be familiar with this album. I think more people should be familiar with this album. I mean, as you mentioned, they were doing some stuff with sampling, which to us now, you know, is, is old hat. But back in 1990, this was was very new. So yeah, I, it's, it's a good album to have in your collection if you're a lover of madness. Anything else you want to throw in, Polly? No, I hope they didn't just hear my stomach growling. Oh, is that um, what that was? I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us just about to the end of the episode. As is our life, we'll have a closing song here pretty soon. It's going to be a cover of Magic Carpet by Elastic, an electronic outfit, and featuring Malika. So, thanks again for listening. Yes, thank you. We'll see you again in two weeks. It's a goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness.
Destined to 